0: pull out your bulletin inserts, there's a few announcements I want to make before we turn to God in worship. First session, we'll be meeting tomorrow night at 6 p.m. If there's any questions you have, any concerns about the church or anything you would like that leadership body of the church to know, make sure you see a session member. Session members, raise your hand. Okay. And then we'll be installing a few more of those today. Uh, backpacks packing is at four on Tuesday, and that's for the Sharpsville bag Backpacks... I I can't even remember this. It's something to do with Sharpsville. You guys figure it out. It's in there. Okay. Um, And then Joy is getting together on Thursday, having a Valentine's thing. Yes. Anything you want to say?
1: Uh, Don't laugh at me, but the movie is Little Women, Rich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, no, that should be a great movie. And we're meeting for lunch at noon at Denny's. So there's kay. a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. Great. So there'll be a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board for that. Noon at Denny's for lunch and then 2 o'clock movie Little Women, all right? We also, you know what, out on that bulletin board out there on the right, there are sign-up sheets. We need some sign-ups for um, coffee fellowship and we need some sign-ups for helping hands, helping out with the nursery. So make sure, you, make sure you take a look at those and sign up for those, all right? Um, Ash Wednesday's coming. We're only a few weeks out for Ash Wednesday, and like we did last year for Lent, we really pushed small groups and got a couple small groups up and running just during Lent. It's for the the six weeks of Lent. So we'll be running that again this year. We'll be in touch with you about that. There'll be more information to come, but just be thinking thinking about that, all right? Okay, whole bunch of things in here. Make sure you take some time and look at those, mark your calendars for the ones that are important. Are there any announcements that are not, oh, the... So, for those of you who don't get enough of me on Sunday morning, you know, the service is on the website, and you guys can go home and
2: look. I also have an announcement. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Save me. Yeah. We'll do. Always. Um, So, uh, last week, I mentioned the Mercy Me and Jeremy Camp concert that is on Friday, February 21st in Youngstown at the Cavelli Center. Um, I... The tickets are getting a bit limited for that concert. It's coming up very soon. Um, So right now they're in the neighborhood of about $65. If anybody is still interested in that at that price, um, feel free to talk to me after the service. Um, We should probably, if we are gonna do it, we should probably order them right away. Otherwise they're just gonna get more expensive or run out. In addition to that, um, there is another concert of interest on the following Friday, February 28th, in Pittsburgh. It's uh, Pat Barrett, who wrote the song Build My Life and other um, popular worship songs that you might hear on Caleb and elsewhere. Um, Those tickets are only about $20. So if anybody's interested in going down to Pittsburgh on the 28th to see Pat Barrett, um, please talk to me about that as well. And we can do group tickets for that. So... If you're interested, let me know. It's a fun time.
0: Great. Anything else out there? Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's who that is? That would be his grandfather. Yes. Oh. You're continuing with this theme of birds and bees, aren't you? Hey, let it fly. All right. Um, Great. Anything else? Nothing else? Okay. We should turn to worship. Go ahead, Linda.
1: Good morning. Please stand and join me in our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 75. We praise you, God. We praise you. Let us praise the Lord with music. join me in our corporate prayer of confession. This will be followed by a time of silent confession. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Amen.
0: Amen. So the Lord is going to tell us through the prophet Ezekiel that I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. People of God know that in Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven. And be at peace. You may be seated. All right, let's have the kids come forward.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Are they coming? No? Are you guys not coming? Oh,
3: my. Oh.
0: Okay. Last call. Okay. Okay, so I have, I have a question for you all. Okay, so there's this statement. If it quacks, does that make any sense? you guys know how to finish that? No? It's, it's a logic puzzle, actually. It's this, it's this question about logic. How, how's it go? If it quacks like a duck and if it walks like a duck, then it must be a duck. It's kind of It would make sense, right? If it sounds like a duck, if it moves like a duck, it should be a duck. Okay, we're going to try something here today, right? I'm going to make a sound and I want you guys to tell me what you think it is. Is that a duck? Okay. You can tell that just because of the sound it makes, right? Okay, let's try another one. Dog? Okay. Oh, isn't he cute? This dog. Okay, how about this one? (laughs) Is this silly? Cows. Okay, look at that, cows. You know, it's really funny when we work on our property up on the corner, the guy who's across the street has cows and they all come over and they just sit there and watch me work. I think they're kind of lazy, but you know, yeah. Okay, so the next sound you're going to hear is a sound that Nick and I heard for the first time just a year or two ago out at our farm. And it was in the middle of the night and it terrified the two of us. Okay, so listen to this sound and you guys are going to probably have to help out with this one. Hold on. It'll get a little bit louder. Oh, it's not that loud. Okay. A gate? No, it's an animal. It's not an owl. It's a mammal. Okay? Anybody know what that sound is? What? Big, big, seriously? Thank you. You know what it is? That's the sound a fox makes. And it did it outside. <laughs> Hold on, you, you, shush. It happened outside. It, middle of the night, it woke us up, and Nick and I were terrified. And I'm like, that's the boogeyman coming for us. That's what, no, that, that's not, I didn't, okay, we didn't say anything like that. We weren't sure. <laughs> If you're confused about what that sound really is, we have a song for you.
1: <laughs> Does anybody, anybody know this
3: song? Dog goes woof, cat goes meow, bird goes tweet and mouse goes squeak. Cow goes moo, frog goes crow. And the elephant goes toot, dogs and quack, and fish go blow. And the seal goes ow, 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 but there's one sound that no one knows. What does the fox say?
0: Is that what the fox says? No.
3: What the fox say?
0: No, not that either. <laughs>
3: Okay, not that either? Okay,
0: that song goes on forever. It's a song about what the fox says. Come on, it fits. Hey, somehow. People don't understand how this works up here. Um. Okay, so you're asking me, what does any of this have to do with church, right? Yes. Yes. Why are we talking about what ducks say and foxes say? So here's the point. Here's what Paul's been trying to tell us and what he's going to drive home today is that the church is supposed to look a certain way. It's supposed to have a walk and it's supposed to have a talk. And if we're not actually being either of those things, if we're not being faithful to what God wants of us, then we can't call ourselves the church. That's what he's going to challenge us with today is if you want to be the church, then you have to actually pay attention. Okay? That's what we're going to chat about. Now, here's the trick. So I'm going to need you guys to come up forward. I'm actually kicking you guys out this morning. Because one of the things, some of the stuff we're going to talk about is not age appropriate. Before we, before we release them, though. So, you know, because Miss Sandy said we got to have candy if I have children's sermon. Here's a question I have for you. If it smells like chocolate... And if it looks like chocolate, what do you think it is? Chocolate. It's chocolate, except if you're Jeremy and he does Brussels sprouts. Yeah, you guys remember that? That was a bad children's sermon. That was gross, wasn't it? Chloe ate it. Chloe ate it. Where's Chloe? Chloe did eat it. Uh huh. Chloe. Okay, take a take a Hershey kiss. Okay, and then I'm gonna pray. F- I'm actually gonna just send you guys up. You guys follow. Follow Miss Nicole, all right? All right. We're going to need prayer. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For you alone, Lord, are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I did. We kicked the kids out because today's text gets a little, a little rough and, um, yeah, and a little serious too. So I have, we need a little bit of space for this one. So one of the resources that I've been using as I've been unpacking and studying 1 Corinthians entitles this section of the letter, Too Big to Spank, which if you haven't picked up on it, I really like titles. And that title, it was a really good title in my opinion. But I don't like how it fits with our text. As I fought with this text this past week, church discipline isn't really the sense I take away from chapters 5 and chapters 6. It is commonly held, and most people read this section as if it is speaking to church discipline it is the foundation for excommunicating and for shunning which if you're not aware of either of those it's the act of excluding from so- someone from taking the sacraments or participating in church services and it's all rooted in this idea you have sinned so you are no longer welcome it's interesting because linda came to me this past fall A woman in the bundle babies was struggling with this. She hadn't taken communion in the Catholic Church for years and years because basically they said to her, you're not worthy to take communion anymore because something you did in your life excludes you from participating anymore. Okay? So here's where we're going. Paul's going to encourage discipline. But it's only in this one situation that he will do so with such a strong stance. And it's only in regards to one particular individual. You know, discipline in the church is something that I have wrestled with ever since I have started working for the church. And probably even before that. Some churches love the idea of discipline and they are willing to call out all sorts of issues... And to be honest with you, church discipline is why I did not grow up in the church. So here's what happened. When I was very young, my parents started attending a Baptist church. And that was until some individuals from that church came up to my dad and said he needed to shave. Okay, so my dad's always had a beard. As long as I have known him, he's had a beard. I think he was born... With a beard, which is why we don't have any pictures of him as a kid. The idea that he had to shave to be a part of the church didn't make any sense to him. And let's be honest, it's not for biblical reasons. There's no place in the Bible that says men need to shave if you're coming to the church. It's actually interesting. I did a little bit of looking into this this past week here's what St. Clement of Alexandria said. This is from the second century. He said, for one who is a man to comb himself and shave himself with a razor for the sake of fine effect to range his hair at the looking glass, to shave his cheeks, to pluck hairs out of them and smooth them. How womanly. And in truth, unless you saw them naked, you would suppose them a woman. So much for wanting to look good. Yeah. Or in the 4th century, St. Augustine says this. He says, the beard signifies the courageous. The beard distinguishes the grown men, the earnest, the active, the vigorous. So that when we describe such, we say, he is a bearded man. That's what they say. Yeah, I don't know what that means for me because this is about all I got. I really can't do a whole lot more than this. I also think it's why I'm so envious of Jacob because Jacob's a bearded man if you've seen one. Here's the thing. Facial hair is not, there's no injunction against it or for it in the Bible. But the idea is is that that particular church was more concerned about my dad's facial hair than about the salvation of our family. And they let us just walk away. And that's what he did. So I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't spend any time in it. I think the topic of church discipline raises some great questions. You know, what is the purpose of discipline? When do we discipline? Do we do it through hearsay or gossip? Do we look to tradition and culture to discern what is appropriate? They're all great questions, but I don't think any of which Paul is actually, well, Paul is going to address a few of those but I think one of the things that makes this really hard for us is this passage that we found in, find in Romans, where Paul is going to say this. He's going to say, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. You know, when you read Paul's various letters, when you're trying to unpack them in Figure out what he's actually saying. At times it feels like they actually contradict each other. At times it feels like Paul's wrestling with himself. And so we're going to jump into this letter and see if we can't get a handle on this. That is not contradictory to Paul. All right? Following the theme of the first four chapters, which we spoke about, just wrapped up the theme of grow up. Paul, in chapter 6, verse 11, is going to say, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And what Paul is saying here is is there needs to be a difference between who you were and who you are. And he is going to do this by continuing to make a distinction between the ways of the world and the ways of God. Again, his point is, it's time that the church embrace who God called it to be. That, I think, is what Paul's trying to get at here. If we call ourselves the church, then we better walk like the church and we better talk like the church. So you ready? This is going to be a fun text. Let's jump in. Please turn with me, whether it's in your Bible or your pew Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're using our pew Bible, you'll find it on page 871. Okay? So chapter 5, verse 1, begins like this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping With his father's wife. You know, this passage isn't in the Revised Common Lectionary. If you were in a Methodist church and they follow, or a church that follows the lectionary, they don't don't use this passage at all. They've cut it out of the Bible completely. Anyway, verse two. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Paul's here. So in the first four chapters of our letter, Paul has been responding to a report that there has been quarreling and division among those in the church in Corinth. And his response to this was grow up. Stop being so worldly. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 3.1. And when he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. It's not about Who you like more, whether that would be Paul or Apollos or Peter, here's the deal. You've been given all three. It's a gift. Give thanks. Stop picking fights and stop fighting amongst yourselves. That was chapters 1 through 4. This week, Paul is going to address a report of sexual immorality. But this isn't your common run-of-the-mill kind of sexual immorality that was prevalent in Corinth. which there was a lot in a pagan society like Corinth. No, it's a kind that even those who are worldly do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul's question for the church is, what are you doing? First, there is quarreling and division, and then I am hearing about sexual immorality And as I'm reading this, what I'm wondering is at what point is Paul going to just wash his hands and walk away? At what point, as a church leader, do you cut and run from the church? I think to those in leadership in the church, Paul is saying never. You never cut and run. You have to stick with it. At times it might get difficult. At times it will be discouraging. But stick it out. Because God is doing something here. Verse 3 goes on. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. So as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. This gets good. Verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay. (laughs) That's a little rough. A little confusing too, isn't it? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Is Paul saying that the church should literally hand somebody over to Satan as if he's just waiting outside those doors? You know, with this idea... That somehow at the end of his life he might be saved? Does that make any sense? That doesn't seem to work, does it? So what we have to ask is what else could Paul be saying? What is Paul saying in other letters that might shine some light into this? So throughout the first four chapters, again, Paul uses the image of flesh versus the spirit to refer to the differences between the world and God. So if we were to turn to chapter 3, verse 1 again, what it says is, Brother and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Literally, the Greek reads like this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh. Paul likes to use this image of flesh and spirit to contrast the way of the world in the way of God. So if we go back to verse 5, I think what he's saying is hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his worldly nature. That he might be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay? That's what he's getting at, I think, here. Which sounds a little bit better. But it still doesn't answer the question of what it means to hand someone over to Satan. So if we turn to Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul will say this. He says this on multiple times. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Here's what I think Paul's getting at. Here's what I think he's trying to say to us. Let him go. If he wants to live as if he were a part of the world, then let him go. Let him live the life that he wants to. Let him return to the world the ruler of it with the hope that when things get bad enough when he hits the bottom which he's going to do when things fall apart for him then maybe he will turn back to the Lord and call on the name of Christ have you ever heard of a story of some kid smoking cigarettes only to get caught by his father And then his father takes an entire pack of cigarettes and makes him sit down and smoke the entire pack of cigarettes. Have you ever heard a story like that? Have any of you ever been there? Uh uh I see you. Um, How does that end? It doesn't end well, does it? No, it's a bad ending. That's what I think Paul is getting at. If you want to live a worldly life, by all means, have at it. But it doesn't end well. And maybe, just maybe, in chasing after the things of this world when things hit rock bottom, you will turn to God and you will see the truth that he has been speaking all along. That's what I see in that little bit of text that's a little tricky to read, I think. Paul really is longing for this man to be saved. He says, kick him out, but that he may only return, that he might find salvation again. But that's the man. Paul's got words for the church as well. Verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The bigger issue Paul is drawing attention to is the impact of this man's behavior upon the whole church. How his behavior has an impact on the witness of the church. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get this text, to be honest with you. Somehow the church was boasting. It was prideful of this man and what he was doing. And Paul's point is that the church is meant to reflect the kingdom of God, not the ways of this world. To boast in such a behavior is going to destroy the purpose of the church, so you need to let him go. You need to release him from in your midst. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or slanderer a drunkard or swindler do not even eat with such people. You know as if This whole thing about Satan wasn't enough. This is where it gets really hard in the church, I think. This is where we wrestle. So first, Paul is saying, do not be afraid of those who are worldly. In fact, we should expect the world to be worldly. We shouldn't be surprised if those who deny God live worldly lives. We shouldn't be surprised if they sin. Think about this for a moment. If someone is going to deny God, then what would lead them to do anything else? What would cause them to live a godly life? Is that the expectation the church has for sinners? We need to let the world do what the world is doing. And we can't be surprised when the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. We should expect that. Worldly people are going to be immoral and greedy. They're going to be swindlers and idolaters. They're going to be all sorts of things that we would struggle with. You know, I've heard this past week, I've talked with a bunch of people, and although I did not watch the Super Bowl, I heard about the halftime show during the Super Bowl. And I heard a lot of complaints about this, a lot of surprise regarding it with it being very risqué. My reaction is, is what do you expect? I expect it to be risqué. Because it's not something the church sponsors, right? We didn't sponsor the Super Bowl, did we? It's the world, and it's the way the world lives. It should not catch us off guard. Paul's point is the world is going to be the world. It has certain expectations and behaviors. And in addition to those expectations and behaviors, you cannot isolate yourself from it. You can't withdraw from the world. Jesus didn't, He didn't separate Himself from the world. It's the whole point of incarnational ministry that God takes on flesh to work in the midst of a sinful creation. It's the model that we have for ministry. Jesus was constantly being accused of spending his time with tax collectors and sinners because he did. Jesus is going to go so far as to say to the chief priests and the elders, he's going to say, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That's a harsh word. Because he spent time with them, caring for them, showing them what it means to... To be a part of the kingdom of God. If we remove ourselves from the world, Paul asked this question in Romans, then how will they know? We can't do that. So here's the deal. That that part actually makes sense to me. I get that. Because at 25, I was still in the world. It was only because somebody invited me to church that, that that changed for me our job is to point those in the world to jesus and therefore to do that we must remain in the world and we shouldn't be surprised about what people do in the world so i'm right with paul up until verse 11 and this is where for the church i think it gets a little tricky so let's look at verse 11 one more time but now i am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister but is sexually immoral. The Greek word here is porneia, okay? And it, is, it has several meanings. It's used to describe those who were male prostitutes or men who were fornicators, basically, meaning anyone who was having sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality, porneia. And then there's the greedy, which is better translated as those who are covetous. You know, they have an eagerness just to have more and more and more, especially what their neighbor has. They look at their neighbor and say, I I want what that guy's got. This is where that whole saying, keeping up with the Joneses, kind of fits in, right? We compare ourselves to others, and we want what they have. Sexually immoral, greedy. Idolaters. An idolater is someone who puts their faith in anything other than God to save them. So if we put our faith in money or medicine or science as if those things can save us, we are bordering on that edge of idolatry and slanderer. Yeah. This one I think is best understood by Jesus' words in Matthew when he says, anyone who says you fool will be in the dangers of the fire of hell. A slanderer is someone who is verbally abusive to someone else. A drunkard. Paul's saying drinking is not a sin, but drinking to drunkenness, that's where we have a problem. And then finally, swindlers are someone who steals from others. The word in the Greek has this nuance to it that makes it sound violent, that there's a violence in what they're doing. And then Paul's going to conclude with do not even eat with such people. Okay? So, anybody uncomfortable yet? Anybody tend towards any of these sins? Don't don't raise your hands. Okay? I know I do. Especially the image of slanderer, right? So, but here's the deal. Throughout college, I spent my summers working on a construction site. And I'm not a Christian. I didn't grow up in the church, and I'm hanging out with these masons, bricklayers. And the way I spoke to other people, what I learned through spending time with them, it was rough. It was brutal. I was looking to pick fights with guys. I was not nice to women. Before I had come to know Christ, I was a slanderer because the words I spoke destroyed other people, they were harsh. But in coming to know Christ, that changed. And I'm not perfect. (laughs) I am not finished. At times, especially in the car, I can get worked up even today in Christ. I've told you some of those stories. Those are not proud moments. But who I am today in Christ is completely different than who I was prior to Christ. When I was a part of this world, when I lived as if one of this world. If you grew up in the church, I think this is a hard concept for you to wrap your mind around. Because if you grew up in the church, then likely you have always had an eye on God. You have always known what he expects of you. Whether you followed it or you didn't, you knew it there in the back of your mind. The problem is is that if you grow up outside of the church, outside of Christ... You have no clue that those things are a problem. You don't think twice about the things you do. I didn't think twice about the things I said. I didn't think twice about the women I slept with. I didn't think twice about the big house and the fancy car and the fast motorcycles. I didn't think twice about stealing because I was surrounded by people who stole things. I could tell you stories what it means to live as one in the world. But what happened was in Christ, I thought twice. In Christ, I no longer lived carelessly. Here's a deal. We all fall short. Even in Christ, there are moments that we are going to struggle whereas those who are worldly, there is no struggle at all. There is only what we crave in that moment. So here's what I think we need to take away from this section of chapter 5. Those who are worldly don't actually realize there is anything anything wrong with the way that they are living. And so if we avoid them, if we isolate ourselves and remove ourselves from their midst, then how will they ever know there is another way to live this life? A way that's actually better. And we have to believe that it is better. For someone who grew up in the world who has come to Christ, my life is so much better. It's not about what I can't do anymore, it's about the fact that I stopped hurting people every time I turned around, which is what life was like without Christ. But you can't be worldly. You can't live that life carelessly and claim to know Christ. You can't sin boldly and call yourself a Christian. That's the bottom line. You can't sleep with your father's wife and be proud of it. I'm gonna let you in. I'm going to let you in on how this works out for me. What I see the church is to look like and how I have tried to structure our church. Anyone is welcome to walk through those doors, anyone, sinner or saint, because my hope is that by being in our midst, those who are worldly might come to know Christ. By listening to my sermons, if I am being faithful to God, they might actually see God. That if we are being faithful with how we greet and love one another, then they might see Christ's love in our lives. Again, all are welcome to walk in through those doors, to sit in these pews. But I am only going to support those who have turned from the world towards God. Those who have repented of being worldly. Those are the ones that we need in leadership. Those are the ones that we invite to take charge in the church. I will not permit a slanderer and a leadership role in our congregation. But I will understand if one of our leaders might slander. I might even go so far if that's a regular thing, if it seems to be something they are just getting comfortable with. I might go so far as to call them out on that. And there's some people I have called out. But all are welcome. Just not all are invited to lead. That's where I set the distinction. When I read this text, that's where I come away from it with. We had this funny situation when the kids were younger. We encouraged our kids to be friends with anybody and everybody they came in contact with. But we also cautioned them that when they did that, that they would never give their hearts, that they would never give away themselves to someone who wasn't a Christian. That we have to keep a little bit of space there. That we have to protect ourselves a little bit. Does that make sense? Do you see the distinction between being in the church and being of the world? I'm going to pause here, and I'm asking that question legitimately. Does anybody have a question about this? Does anybody wrestle With this, because the church, I think, has messed this one up. When it tells somebody, you know what, you got to shave or leave, we've got a huge problem. But it also isn't saying that you can come as you are and stay as you are. The church is meant to encourage people to change, to follow God. Do we have any questions? Any concerns? This is the one time I'm going to give you a chance to say what you want. I'm going to take it away. It won't shut that door. It won't happen again. <laughs> I think it's an important passage for us to wrestle with as a church. Because I think Paul is trying to say if you claim to be the church, you better be awfully careful about the witness you are bearing. It should point people to God. That's what it should do. We We're going to wrap up here very shortly, but I want to pick up with chapter 6, verse 9, okay? Because I think this is Paul's point. Paul is going to say, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those people who claim that as their identity. Because that is what some of you were, he says. Some of you were worldly. Right here. I was. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And actually what's amazing is in the Greek, Paul puts this word Allah, which is but, before each of those statements. He says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Outside of Christ, you were worldly. It is only in Christ that we have been transformed. We're going to have to stop here. We're not going to be able to finish this. There's going to be a part two next week, maybe a part 3A the week after. Because there's just too much left in this passage. But I want you to leave. I want to leave you with this idea. The church is a community of people who call on the name of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we cannot live like the world. We cannot continue to be ignorant of the sins in our lives. If we are going to confess that we trust in the name of Jesus Christ, then we really ought to trust in the life that he places before us. The church is not a community that is perfect. Not a single one of us is. But it is a community that is willing to follow the one whose name we bear. Because the kingdom of God won't look anything like this world. And God's invitation is to all that you are welcome to be a part of it from this day into eternity. Or you are free to live the way you would like to. You are free to chase after this world. But the church, the church needs to reflect the kingdom of God. That's Paul's point coming into this. Now, here's the deal. I think, I think that's the easier part of this text. Next week, it gets trickier. Next week, it gets a little rougher with something that I think we actually do wrestle with in the church. I think we get this, what is the world and what is the church? But what Paul's going to say to us next week about judging, <laughs> that's going to get fun. So come back next week, part two. We'll try this again next week all right Linda so this morning if I'm honest I hate this time of the year it's like new members installation of officers and stuff it just feels like all kinds of things this morning what we need to do is we need to order can you ordinate Ordinate. ordain that's the word (laughs) you can't ordinate someone can you you guys gave me this microphone. I don't know why it doesn't make any sense to me. We're going to ordain and install church officers. That makes much more sense. That's a much better word. We'll go with that one. So here's the deal. From 1 Corinthians, from the letter that we're studying, chapter 12, verses 4 through 7 and 27, Paul is going to tell us that there are a variety of gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord that we serve. God works through each person in a unique way but it is God's purpose that is being accomplished. To each is given a gift of the spirit to be used for the common good. Together. Together we are the body of Christ and individually we are members of it. I can't wait to get to chapter 12. There's some great stuff in chapter 12. We're going to we're going to unpack So here is our statement of ordination and installation. We are members of Christ's bride, the church through baptism, and as we are united with Christ through the Holy Spirit. This is our common calling to be disciples and servants of our Lord and Savior. There are, excuse me, two particular areas of service within our church. Some are called to serve as deacons and some are called to serve as elders. Alongside of me, These individuals provide for the ministries of caring and compassion, as well as the governance within the church. As together, as one, we proclaim God's love to the world.
4: Representing the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the session of the First Presbyterian Church of Sharpsville will ordain Christopher Christopher Bach and Kristen Manuel to active service, and we will also install to active service Those who have been previously ordained, Barb Jones, Bill Swanson, and Mark Pello.
0: So exciting, isn't it? Okay, so what we're going to do is ask those who are being ordained and installed to please come forward, so the five of you make your way forward. And then I'm also going to ask all those who are currently serving as elders and deacons for you guys to come forward as well, okay? Oh, this is good stuff. (laughs) Christopher and Kristen Linda is going to ask you a series of questions And then she's going to prompt you with the appropriate response These are the same questions in the Presbyterian church These questions of ordination are, are used for everyone who is ordained They're the questions that the church asked me when I was installed as the pastor So We're going to ask the two of you the same set of questions for Barb and Mark and Bill. You guys have already been ordained, and once ordained, you are always ordained. It's something that only happens once in the church. All right.
4: Kristen and Christopher, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You may respond with, I do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness of Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? You may respond with, I do. I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions, as you lead the people of God, you may respond with, I do and I will. I will you fulfill your office and obedience to Jesus Christ under the authoritative authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? You may respond with, I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among our colleagues in ministry, working, working with them, subject in the or- ordering of God's word and spirit? You may respond with, I will. Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? You may respond with, I will. Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? You may respond with, I do. Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? You may respond with, I will.
0: Huh. That's a lot of questions. Yeah. Christopher and Kristen, we're going to take a moment and we're going to anoint and pray for you in the Old Testament. God uses this image of anointing to just represent his spirit being a As for the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to place hands on them as together we pray. Okay? So let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for your steadfast faithfulness to us. In every age, you have called forth leaders to serve you, and you have equipped them with your gifts. Among your people, Israel, you anointed prophets, priests, and kings. With Moses, the 70 elders bore the burdens of your people, ministering in the power of your spirit. Alongside the apostles, deacons cared for all in need and guarded the community's peace. In the church, deacons, elders, and pastors served together so that your whole church might be equipped for ministry and built up into the full unity of Christ. For your servants in every age, O oh God, and for the church of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise. And in particular this morning, we give you thanks for Christopher Bach. And we give you thanks for Kristen Manuel. May your Holy Spirit lead and guide them as they seek to lead and serve this church. For it is in your name, in your name alone, that we pray. All right, let's install these people. Okay.
4: To Christopher, Kristen, and Barb, will you be faithful deacons, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendliness of those in need? In your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? You may respond with, I will. And to you, Bill and Mark, will you be faithful elders, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in, in government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? You may respond with, I will.
0: All right. Now for the whole church, just in case you thought you didn't have any role in this installation. Linda has a couple questions for you as well.
4: To the whole church, do we, the members of the church, accept Christopher, Kristen, and Barb, Mark, and Bill, as deacons and elders, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? You may respond with, we do. Do we agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ alone is head of the church? You may respond with, we do.
0: We're going to now pray for these officers. Once again, those of you who are already installed, place your hands on one of these five. All right. And for those of you who are sitting in the pews, you know what I'm going to ask? Just lift up a hand. Instead of having you all come forward, just, just lift your hand towards them. Let us pray. God of grace, it is through your Holy Spirit that we ask that you would give Christopher, Kristen, and Barb an openness to the Spirit's leading that they may see and serve wherever there is a need. Train them in prayer, that they may express the compassion of Christ for the poor and the friendless, the sick, the grieving, and the troubled. And God, through your Holy Spirit, give Bill and Mark prudence and sound judgment, wisdom and courage to order the life of the church in obedience to your word. Nourish them in the life of your spirit that they may exercise the ministry of discipline with humility and compassion. Guide them in governance on this session in every court of the church that they may be a servant leader following Christ who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life to set others free. Lord, I ask that you would equip all five of these individuals with the courage to bear the gospel into a world that is broken and suffering. And in everything, give them the mind of Christ, who did not grasp the greatness of who he is, but he emptied himself. He became a servant of your reign. And give them joy in their walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for their work of ministry. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> One more.
4: Christopher, Kristen, Barb, Bill, and Mark. You are now deacons and elders of, in the church of Jesus Christ and for this congregation. Be faithful and true in your ministry so that your whole life will bear witness to the crucified and risen Christ. Welcome.
0: Welcome. Okay. woo Okay. So as the church stands and we sing Revelation, Revelation song. We're going to give hugs and then send you all back to your seats, all right? Be seated. Okay, so there's a list of prayer concerns on the back side of our bulletin insert. There's a few updates I want to make before we turn to God in prayer. So, David had some tests. Jeannie had asked for prayers for David, who had some tests this week. Um, he's having some struggles with his triglycerides and his diabetes and a handful of things. There's still a lot to go with that testing, so keep David in your prayers. And Bev Pitts went last weekend and she was having some tests to see if she could have her valve in her heart replaced through this minimally invasive procedure. Um, they're still debating that, they're wrestling with that. I think tomorrow she's supposed to get word on whether or not that procedure is going to work for her. Janie will be having surgery on Friday for breast cancer. They will be doing a lumpectomy on Janie. And then we had three deaths this past week. We've been praying for Pedro Collegia, for Robert Cooper, and for Bernie Isaac. The three of them just passed away. Robert Cooper, that's Penny Cooper's husband. That is Carolyn Stoyer's son-in-law. He had a heart attack yesterday and passed away. Um. It was very sudden. It was very sudden, and I think what's really hard for Carolyn, I talked, I talked with her. It was yesterday, right? Was that yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Yeah, um, I talked with her, and I think what the struggle there is, her daughter Penny, is just recovering from a stroke herself. So to lose her husband to a heart attack, it's it's been hard. Carolyn's lost two children, um, and now a son-in-law, and it's just she's she could use your prayers she is still encouraged and she still gives praise to God but yeah it's been a battle are there any quick updates before we turn to God in, in prayer go ahead Chris good okay great so we've been praying for Arlene C. She lives right down the street here she's been battling cancer she is done with treatments seems to be in remission and she is feeling better. So we'll give thanks for that. Great. Go ahead, Karen. Yeah. Harrison is a 10-year-old boy that has leukemia. Oh, he's only six. Okay. Gotcha. So he's just a little guy who's struggling with leukemia. So keep, keep Harrison in your prayers. Thanks, Karen. Go ahead, Charlie. Good, good. Steve had had a kidney transplant, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks ago? Something. Four weeks, is that it? Okay. So, and he did really well with that, and recovery sounds like it's going good, so we give thanks for that. Great. Go ahead, Linda.
1: Edna. Edna Edna. That's right. The veins in the back of her eye are starting to grow, which is giving lots of pressure. Okay. And she had to go in and have liquid taken out by needle to, to relieve the pressure. She'll
0: probably have to have that done every month. Okay. Edna had had a stroke behind her eye and she lost sight in her one eye not that long ago. Um, and she's continuing to wrestle with that. They're continuing to have some problems, and what they're doing to help her is not very pleasant. It's actually been pretty tricky. It's very so, yeah, so keep Edna in your prayers. All right. Go ahead, Edie. Uh, this word, Chris, that was is on this oh, that's right good Yeah. Great. Great. We'll give thanks for that too then. All right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, Jacob had his wisdom teeth out on Thursday, and that is going well, so be in prayer for him. All right, let's turn to God in prayer then. Lord, we give you thanks for the life, death, and for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in him, what we testify to is a life that looks very different from the ways of this world. And so in that, we give praise and thanks. Lord right now this coronavirus that is spreading around the world is creating fear and frustration it is inconvenient and just all sorts of problems so we ask for help we pray to you to show us a way through this father we pray for those we know we know most intimately for friends and for family members We lift up Elaine and David and Dick, Daryl, Kelsey, and Johnny, the elementary school lock-in this week, Bob, Olivia, Grace, and Keith, and Bev. We add to that list Edna and Doug. We give praise that Steve is doing so well. We also lift up all those who are being treated for cancer. We pray for Belle and Krista, for Shannon and Rich, for Brenda and Brooke and Harrison, for Debbie and George and Shirley, for Jim and Kathy and Kim, for Nancy and Mark, for Luke and Ed, for Rhonda and Shirley and Patty, for Christopher and Rick, for Arlene and Susan, for Alex and Pete and Mrs. Weaver. And we pray for Janie and for the surgery that she will undergo on Friday. Lord, we lift up the family and the friends of Pedro and Robert and Bernie as they mourn this morning. Lord, you promised to comfort those in mourning, so we ask that you would just make your presence known. We pray for those who are currently serving in the armed services, as we remember all who have served or given their lives in the act of service. We pray for our sister churches here in the valley, for St. Paul's United Methodist of Christ, and for the Holy Trinity Lutheran, both in hermitage. And Lord, we take just a brief moment of silence as we lift up any prayer concerns that may be on our hearts, but not on our lips. Lord, we lift these prayers to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who is both our Lord and our Savior and the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom in the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please take a moment, if you've not yet done so, put your name in our pew pads. We appreciate that. The author of Hebrews encourages us to do good and share what we have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. At this time, as we continue in worship, we will receive your offering. If you are visiting with us this morning, please don't feel obligated to make an offering. We're just glad you're here. us give thanks. Blessed are you, God of all creation, for it is through your goodness that we have these (laughs) gifts to share. Accept and use our offerings for your glory and for the service of your kingdom. Amen. Our closing song is going to be hymn number 551 soon and very soon. Better than the Gaithers? No. <laughs> <laughs> As we leave the sanctuary this morning, following Ryan with the light of Christ, the church has a witness to bear. Do not be afraid to do that. Here now, the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each and every one of you this day and every day. Amen.